0: Hey, my name is Jerome, one of the pastors here, and uh, we've actually been in a sermon series over the past few weeks called Whole Transformation. What does it look like, and what's the invitation for us to be wholly transformed? Not just part of us, not just our minds or our hearts, but all of who we are. Now, some of you who are not a Christian here, welcome. So glad you made it. I mean, this is what we believe about our faith, that it's an invitation for all of who we are to be transformed by God. Now, there's actually this rubric that we've been using. It's called head, heart, and hands. Some of you, maybe in an educational field, you've actually heard this before, head, heart, and hands. And the reason why is because you don't even have to be a Christian to know that really the invitation for a complete formation or transformation, what it looks like is a holistic way of every single part of who we are being transformed, And the scriptures are no different, and we talked about how Jesus, he teaches about how we're to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. In other words, all of who we are. In fact, one of the things that Christians are probably most well-known for today is how we don't do this, how we can say a lot of words and yet be hypocritical in the way that we use our actions. And so today, as we explore this kind of area of what does it look like for us when it comes to our hands, not only our head and what we believe to be true and objectively true, but all and not even just our heart and our intentions and the longings of our hearts and the feelings that we all possess, but also with our hands and our feet and what we actually do with them. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, what does that story that we read earlier have to do with any of this? Well, if if you notice, in Genesis chapter 12, there's a person named Abram. And Abram, it starts out. Now, Abram is someone that God is going to call. Now, I want you to get this sense, though. Abram, this story comes to us from the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, um, which is very different than I think Western society today, Western society today tends to be more individualistic. And yet in a lot of Eastern cultures, maybe you come from an immigrant background to, to the States and you come from a kind of a, a nation or a world or a culture that's more Eastern or Southern that tend to be more focused on the family and the family unit and the cultures and the nations by which we've come from. Now in the ancient world, the family was everything. Like leaving one's family, departing one's family. Uh, your last name meant more than your first name. Um, now I realize back then, maybe they didn't have last names, but you get the principle here. In the ancient world, this idea of leaving family was significant. And here's what ends up happening, right? God comes to Abram in this ancient, very family-centric kind of culture, and he gives this invitation. Look what he says. He says, "'The Lord said to Abram, "'Go from your country, your people, "'and your father's household to the land I will show you.'" Now, again, this is a massive kind of ask that God is making to Abram. And look what happens just four verses later. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. You get what happened here? Basically, God tells him to go, and Abram went. He actually has moved. He doesn't basically say, God says, go. And Abram's like, God, I believe you. I believe what you're saying, and I trust you. And he just stays where he is. No, he doesn't do that because that's not what this journey is all about. God says, go. And what does Abram do? He actually went. In other words, it wasn't just something that he believed or something that he wanted to do this to the best of his intentions. He actually puts hands and feet to this command that God gives to him, and he went. Now, this theme of actually doing what you believe or what your heart is telling you to do, uh, this theme of doing stuff is actually, it's part, it's replete throughout scriptures, because what it means to actually have, be a person of faith is to put things into action. So, for instance, look at what Jesus teaches. Here's a parable in Matthew chapter 7. He teaches this parable of what it's like to basically hear something and to put it into practice. Look at what he says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man or woman who built his house on the rock the rain came down the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house yet it did not fall why because it had its foundation on the rock now he's giving this parable now look at what he says but everyone who hears these words of mine in other words someone who just their head has been transformed who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. (laughs) I mean, isn't this extraordinary? Jesus is basically giving this teaching where he's saying, this is what wisdom looks like. It's not only having our heads transformed or having our hearts transformed, it also impacts our hands and our feet that we actually do something about it. Now, here's what's so startling. Um, those of you who maybe you're like, I don't, I don't know if, uh, if this Jesus person is worth following. Well, in the early church, one of the leaders of the early church was this person named James, and James was actually the brother of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. This is what we believe, and yet James was actually someone who grew up with Jesus, and I believe one of the, the strongest evidence for Jesus being God is that his own brother, like, just think about this. His own brother is like, yeah, Jesus, who I grew up with, he's God. <laughs> can you imagine your sibling doing that? Um, probably not. Uh, but can you imagine, right? I mean, th- and what's so startling though is James, who's one of uh, the early Christian leaders, who's the brother of Jesus. See, he simply continues the same teaching of how all of this is integrated. Look at what he says. James says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Do what it says you need to start integrating what it means in your head as well as your heart into your hands and into your feet to actually be people who do something. Uh, The Center for Action and Contemplation was actually founded in Albuquerque, New Mexico uh, through the Franciscan stream of the Christian movement and they live by these eight principles as ways of going against counterculturally the way that Western society often does faith and religion. And look at what the principle here says. It says, we do not think ourselves into a new way of living, which again, so much of the West and from the Greco-Roman kind of world and philosophies into the Enlightenment era, which was so focused on the mind and in many ways the bifurcation of our mind, our, our bodies, our hearts, and all of these things. Look at what what this, uh, this principle is saying. We do not think ourselves into a new way of living. Instead, we live ourselves into a new way of thinking. We're invited then to be people who live what we say and believe, to live out our head and our hearts, more than simply saying like, oh, this is what I think and that'll change everything. And again, most of the Christian movement today, the biggest critique is how Christians aren't necessarily living out the very principles that we say we believe. We, we talk about how we believe in love, forgiveness, compassion, justice, mercy, and yet we can be a people who are more well-known for our hypocrisy, our judgmentalism. Why is that? And, and here the invitation then is what does it look like for us to live ourselves into a new way of thinking. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, Insanity is basically this, and maybe you've heard this uh, definition before. Have you heard this before? This definition that basically, insanity is trying to do the same thing or is doing the same thing over and over again and yet expecting a different result. Has anyone heard that before? This is what insanity is. Basically, I want to have this kind of relationship. And yet here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna keep trying the same things over and over again. I wanna start living a healthy life physically and yet I keep the same kind of diet, the same kind of routine and I find myself in the same kind of health issues. Now this is what insanity is. Insanity is I basically, yeah, okay, I wanna change. My heart is there, my head is there, but I keep trying the same things over and over again. And the invitation for us is, when will that change? Uh, Andy Stanley, he actually puts it this way. When it comes to the difference between our intentions and our actions. Look at what he says. He says, direction, not our intention, determines our destination. So for instance, I'm on this path. And basically, my intention is, I want to get healthy. I totally want to get healthy. And I keep saying that to my wife, to my kids. I'm saying it to everyone. I have the best of intentions, let me tell you. But the direction that I'm on can be completely different. Now, a very practical example of how this works out. So in Murray Hill, uh, where we live, like next door, a Chick-fil-A just opened. And so I've been able, somehow by God's grace, to amass a lot of points. Uh, (laughs) So I've got all these Chick-fil-A points. Um, through catering orders and birthday parties and all this stuff. So I reached, like, this signature status. I'm like, wow. One of the things that I noticed is that it only costs 300 points to get free medium fries. So here's the thing, right? So, like, my wife and I, we've been talking a lot about how I need to get healthier, um, and really it's, it's about what I eat and that sort of thing. But this Chick-fil-A opened right next door. So, like, there's just these moments then where I'm I'm just walking outside, and I'm like, you know what? Chick-fil-A's right there. I've got all these points. I've got to use these points before they expire. And so, so, uh, suddenly I start thinking, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'll be healthy and just order the fries. (laughs) 300 points, two clicks, I'm right there. It's easy for me to eat this, thinking somehow that these are empty calories. <laughs> and now, here's the thing: I can talk to him blue in the face, try to convince Tina about how I'm being healthy, how I'm eating right, and yet the direction that I'm going in leads to a destination where maybe I'm not as healthy as I thought. See, but this happens all the time. We have all of the best intentions, and the question is. But where are our hands and feet? What are we actually doing? And so if you were to actually, so if I were to kind of sum up, what is this whole message about? Especially if we've talked about whole transformation, the head, the heart, and now we're talking about the hands and the feet. What is this all about? Here's, if I were to sum everything up, here's what I would say. Here's what it is. Do something. Do something. Do something. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, do something. Some of you, I realize, those are triggering words based on who said those words. (laughs) Yeah, do something. Just do something. Because otherwise, what we end up doing is we end up in this cycle of insanity. You see, God says to Abram, go, and what does he do? He went. He doesn't simply think about it, pray about it, and stay where he, he actually went. He does something. And the invitation for me and for you is to do something. Uh, in my 20s, when I was seeing my counselor, and I, I just remember uh, during that season, I was being invited, uh, just the, the way that I grew up, kind of an ethnic minority, um, youngest in my family, like me having a voice and being able to like declare myself and declare that I'm someone who... Um, is worthy of having dreams and uh, ambitions and things like that. So my counselor would work on work with me on being able to to like to be able to self declare like yes I do have these wishes hopes and dreams in my life. And so one of the ways I remember he this counseling session he starts off when he he starts asking me this question he's like do you want to be great Drew? So he asked me this question right. And I knew what he was doing because we had been working on this together, right? And so, like, you know, for me to actually be someone who's like, yes, I want to be great. Like that, that, is like the self-declarative kind of thing. And so here I was, and I'm like, yeah, I want to be great. And so we, we end up going on in this discussion. And in this discussion, it turns out, like, it was a season in my life, again, in my early 20s, when I was getting into a lot of conflict with uh, uh, the place where I was working, and I was getting so frustrated. And of course, in this counseling session, I just start complaining like crazy like, these people are so immature. I can't believe it. can't believe I'm in this place. Honestly, I just want to leave. So much drama here. Like, I don't want to be here. And my counselor's like, Yeah, I to- totally understand. It's based on the background that you grew up with, you grew up with a lot of drama. Of course, you wouldn't want to be here. And I'm like, Yeah, it, it, these people, they're so immature. And he goes, it totally makes sense. But one of the things that I've learned about greatness is that greatness is able to, to work through tough situations and conflicts in a healthy way. And I was like, I see what you did there. You know, <laughs> like, I see what you're doing. And uh, we could talk till we're blue in the face until we actually do something, until we're actually invited to make a change. Now a few weeks ago, I actually put up this uh, diagram here and on the top of the diagram is, you can see this moment where it says kairos. Now here's the thing, kairos is a Greek word for time but there's this other word for time called chronos where we get words like chronological which is like sequential time. Kairos is this moment where for each one of us we come to this moment where it's like this realization moment and it's at that realization moment. So it's a Cairo's time is like this it's like this time pregnant with meaning. And the question is: in those pregnant with meaning moments, will we observe, will we start to observe and reflect on like, wow, what is God saying to me? And then will we act, will we do something about it? Will we change? Will something get disrupted? Now, this past weekend, we've had over 100 folks over at the retreat this weekend. They're they're on their way back right now. The reason why we do retreats, the reason why we do courses, the reason why we do groups and all these things is because here's often what happens when it comes to these kairos moments for us. The reality is um, most of us, and even throughout the scriptures, you see this time and time again, the invitation when God actually meets us and he changes things for us. It usually happens in situations that that get our attention. So for instance, there's like the desert. The desert is like this theme throughout the scriptures. When someone or a group of people are in the desert or they're in the wilderness or they're in exile, there are these moments when we're in the unknown places, the places of discomfort, the places of disequilibrium. And it's in those moments when these kairos moments comes. Why? Because here's what happens. The human tendency for you and for me is to just rest into this homeostasis world. Um, I remember someone was telling me about this when, uh, when my wife and I were first dating. Like, uh, I remember thinking I, every single time I would open the door for her every single time when we were dating. And they would tell me, oh, you're, you're going to get over that. And uh, I was like, no, I'm going to every single time. I'm going to open the door every single time for her, you know. And then maybe a couple years into marriage, it's raining. I'm like, hey, Tina. I'm going to unlock the door. You run to your door. I'll run to mine. Okay, good. You good? Good. Uh, you know, <laughs> then, like, I just leave her behind. But um, I mean, it's kind of amazing, right? Like, so here's what ends up happening in relationships, in life. What happens is we, we, we get this kind of homeostasis place, right? Homeostasis, it's just, we, we, we figure out the lowest common denominator of how I can get by. Now, here's what happens, though, and this is why God invites us to the desert, to the wilderness, to the unknown. It's because it's in these moments that somehow God gets our attention where we're in this uncomfortable place where it's now like, hey, are you, are you gonna do something? Are you gonna change? Are you gonna get out of your homeostasis? One of the reasons why we, we go on retreats is just to get out of our routine so that somehow God might get our attention to do something, to change. And that's the invitation for us. These Kairos moments come to us when we're, we're out of this equilibrium. And maybe for you today, what if today, even this message, what if this is the moment of e- disequilibrium for you? Maybe there's been a, like a lot of pain in your own relationships right now. And you're realizing, wow, like I really need to improve my relationships. I need to start investing in it. Maybe that's what's to get your attention. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're in a season of depression or loneliness, and insanity has got you in this cycle where you're just doing the same thing over and over again, and what if God's trying to get your attention, give you just enough desert, wilderness, the unknown, to get your attention to say, like, will you do something? Again, because most of us, we don't have the wherewithal to stop and to actually reflect And in many ways, we as a church community, what we're trying to invite people to do is to bring enough disequilibrium moments to all of us, where God gets our attention to these kairos moments, where we're able to say, yes, God, here here I am, I want to change. Um, I was just thinking, you know, oftentimes when I do premarital counseling with a couple, um, one of the things that we talk about is how couples spend exorbitant amounts of money, resources, time on their wedding day. Thousands of dollars on the dress, the venue, the food and all this stuff. There's nothing wrong with that, per se. But I often tell the couple, couples will spend so much time, energy and money on the wedding day, but they've spent very little on staying married. So, hey, hey, we're doing this marriage seminar. It's Friday night, sorry. That's kind of a lot. We're charging 50 dollars. We'll have Chick fil A. (laughs) It's ah, it's too much. $50 and the weekend? Come on. (laughs) Right? I mean, isn't it interesting, kind of the ways that we, the habits that we form? And here's what God wants to do God wants to bring us into disequilibrium moments so that somehow you and I would just do something. And the question for you and for me today is are you going to do something? Or is this just going to be a game that we play every week where we just play this game? Like, I say some things, you think it was great and engaging sometimes, and then you can hang out with your friends after and do whatever, or or will we do something? Now, here's a question that I want to ask. The question is basically this. When it comes down to doing, what do you need to do to live into a new way of thinking? Now, I'm just listing this here because these are things that we talk about as a church community all the time. Is it to connect? Is it maybe you realize that insanity has led you into a place of loneliness or self-absorption? And today, what if the invitation is for you to actually connect and to show up? Sign up for the Friends Giving potluck next week, next Saturday. We won't have Chick-fil-A because it's it's not on Saturday, it's actually on Sunday. So, but nonetheless, just sign up, just connect or grow. What if you want to grow? Next in January, we've got a listening retreat scheduled for the early part of the year. We've got a parenting seminar. We've got a relationship seminar, we have a young adult retreat. There's all these ways, again, for us to grow. We've got courses that we're offering. At the end of the day, we can talk till we're blue in the face, but unless you and I do something, nothing changes. And that's the definition of insanity, isn't it? Or serving. Will you take the time to actually begin to use your gifts, your availability, your time, energy, resources to actually start serving? Will you do something? Or another way of thinking about it is time, energy, and money, right? I can be someone who says, oh, yes, I am so committed to social justice, the poor, the marginalized. But does your time, your energy, and your money reflect that? Oh, no, 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 I just post about it on social media all the time. And I retweet stuff whenever I can. I mean, it is so easy to be a social justice warrior just with our words. But what does it look like for us to actually put action behind it, to do something. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are basically like, you know what this sounds like, though, Drew? It sounds like a works righteousness, especially if you're from a religious context and you're just like, works righteousness. Some of you from a non-religious context, you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, Drew. This works righteousness, that somehow what you're saying is that you have to do good things for God to be pleased with you. No, because you've missed the point. You see, the Christian religion has never been about earning your way or doing good things so that God would love you. Uh, In fact, in 1 John, it says that we love because God first loved us. In other words, our relationship to God is always in response to God. God is the one with the first movement. But here's what's so interesting. And even as we look at this next Christmas season, See, here's what we believe about the God that we serve. that God is not just some disembodied idea or that he's some doctrine to believe in, someone that is not personal, but instead, look at the story what we believe in as Christians. Look at what it says in John chapter one. It says, the word or God became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. The God that we serve is not just some principle or ideal, but takes the first step in taking on flesh. Becoming a person with flesh and blood to show us that this is what God is like. God is not interested in just changing your head or just changing your heart, but also inhabiting your hands and feet. Being a God who demonstrates for us that the kind of life, the kind of relationship that he invites all of us to is a holistic kind of transformation where every single part of who we are is invited to be a people who don't just say we believe one thing or have all of the best intentions, but to be a people who with our head, our heart, and our hands have experienced the fullness and the freedom of what it means to live a holy, transformed life. This is the God that we serve, God who comes to us in flesh, in Jesus, to show us what a transformed life truly looks like. And he does it because he first loved us. And the invitation then for us then is to be a people to say, God, this is what I want to build my life on. Build my life on your love. I want to trust in you, the hope that's found in you. And what this means, then, is not settling for, like, just this status quo. Now, here's the thing that I know. I know that everyone in this room, by virtue of living in this city, if I were to say, hey, how many of you would, like, your longing is to live a mediocre life with mediocre relationships. Like, if you were from Boston, I would understand. I'm just kidding. Uh, But, (laughs) hey, we're New Yorkers. I mean, isn't it true, like, The aim is like, no, we want, we want to live into the fullness of what God has for us. And if that's true, if that's true, what does it look like for us then? To say, God, I want to begin to align all the longings of my heart, all the beliefs in my head, to have it touch my hands and feet, to be, a, to be someone who's living into the fullness and who's willing to do something.